The UCLA Center for Study of Latino Health and Culture has published a study saying that Latinos in the U.S. have the fifth largest GDP in the world. Let's talk about what that means. Alright, so here I have a short summary of the study, only two pages long. There's about a 40-page study uh, published on UCLA's website, so I recommend that if you want to know all of the data, if you want to go through all of the charts, go ahead and check the study out. It's comprehensive. As many studies, they break down the statistics. They go by age groups. There's many different uh, demographics within the study. Of course, Latinos are not all one thing. We include different types of uh, cultures and also different age groups, things like that. Um, so I'll read this summary and then we'll go over exactly what some of these things mean and how it could pertain to the role that Latinos will play in the future uh, here in the U.S. Put on, let me put on my readers. Uh, the study begins saying Latinos in the United States help propel the national economy forward with a total economic output or GDP of $3.2 trillion in 2021, according to a new study. By the way, GDP means gross domestic product. Essentially what that means is when it's all said and done, how much money was produced, how much, uh, how much gross domestic product was there. There's an equation in economics for it, so I'll put it on the screen to how it's calculated. Um, there's actually a couple equations. There's a real GDP. There's a few different interpretations of GDP, but let's begin there. So GDP, again, is an economic tool, an economic measurement uh, to assess the like a, to give a kind of a letter score of, OK, is the GDP good? Is it positive? Are they growing or is it bad? For example, the U.S. has a negative GDP one year. That means that they produced less than last year, which you could say is bad uh, again. So and then when a nation is usually growing, developing, it's, the GDP is very high, 20 percent increase. That's super high. But that happens in, in countries that are uh, growing. So, okay, there's GDP. So, again, this is a GDP study of Latinos in the U.S. And we produce the fifth largest GDP in the entire world, not just in the U.S. Um, continuing. The findings of the latest U.S. Latino GDP report produced annually by the UCLA Center for Study of Latino Health and Culture and the California Lutheran, California Lutheran University's Center for Economic Research and Forecasting show that even amid ongoing COVID-19 pandemic conditions in 2021, the U.S. Latino GDP grew by an inflation-adjusted 7.1%, surpassing the $3 trillion mark for the first time. So if you look here at this at this chart, let me see if it's going to focus. Yeah, so you can see right there. Uh, we're behind the U.S., China, uh, what does that say? Japan and Germany. Uh, but if... Again, and I think they say it here. So if Latinos in the U.S. were just, a, if we just had a country by ourselves, uh, if the, if we were all collected in a country and we had the same GDP, we would be the, the fifth largest GDP in the whole in the whole world among all the countries. Very significant. Um, <clears throat> the research found that their GDP would be the fifth largest, outpacing even the U.K., France, and India. Among the tenth largest world's GDP, among the 10 largest GDPs in the world, the U.S. Latino GDP grew at the second fastest rate across 2020 and 2021. Only China's GDP grew faster. And of course, how are you going to compete with China? Um, 
Despite being only 19% of the U.S. population, Latinos were responsible for 39% of the growth of the U.S. real GDP during 2020 and 2021. So again, you know, just substantial numbers here. I mean, this is unprecedented. This is uh, a testament. We're going to get into what this means. But um, the co-author of the study, Dr. David Hayes Bautista, noted that this is a highlight of resilience across the broader U.S. economy. Uh, between 2020 and 2021, Latinos accounted for more than half the population growth, half the strong force labor, the strong labor force participation, and half the rapid gains in educational attainment. So not only are we surpassing in population growth, we're surpassing in participation in the labor force and in gains for educational attainment. What does that mean? It means that uh, as a group, Latinos are not just multiplying, but we're also showing where our interests are, you know, whether consciously or not, our principles are being outlined in the fact that we are participating in the labor force, where um, we're making it clear that we're here to work. We want to work. We want to uh, amass wealth. We want to uh, contribute to the economy along with educational attainment. We want to become educated. We want to participate in, the, in these conversations. Uh, so again, showing the interest of the greater group uh, says uh, Latinos will continue to have a significant impact on the growth of the U.S. economy days ahead. That's a, a projection, but I would agree with that projection. Um, and again, so just to start to break this down, like what does this mean, right? I mean, it's fifth largest GDP, it sounds good. It definitely is good. But if you don't know what any of those things mean, it really doesn't mean anything, you know. So, uh, you know, again, it, it highlights resilience deep family values and just our incredible work ethic and when i say our i mean latinos you know uh, bingo mexican-american myself i understand how um you know in our culture these three things are very important uh, very important you know our, our heritage past even in mexico comes from colonialism from re resilience pushing against that colonialism uh from traditional family values you know um Although, uh, you know, we, we are in a progressive age where things are changing. What doesn't change is how much we love our families. Uh, as Latinos, that's something that's big in our community. And the work ethic, you know, the not wanting things to be given, you know, or, or finding ways to persevere, you know, the ethic of, you know, we, we know hard work, not, not just do we know it, but we don't complain about it. You know, it's something that we're willing to do. We're willing to work, you know, most evident with farm workers, you know, uh, most Latinos that work in the farms are working under excruciating conditions uh, that most people probably wouldn't handle or they would be bitching about. And, uh, and that's not saying that they deserve those conditions. What I'm saying is that they're willing to work through the, we're, excuse me, we're willing to work through the conditions. You know, the Latinos in the fields are, are working to, are willing to work through those conditions acknowledging that it's the consequence of the current system but that doesn't mean that you can't take the opportunity to then excel uh and you know so with all this information you may be wondering like what can we do with it you know and and so now i want to shift into how we could make progress um and this isn't just specific to latinos this is just a general philosophy but but you know because the topic is how we're producing such a large GDP. 
I think it's important that we begin to educate ourselves in these things, you know. I want to actually start by pointing out a few things, you know, what's holding us back, things that are holding us back. Um, A few of these things are, uh, first off, the the idea of the machista or the or the machismo attitude uh what a term that's popularly come up recently is um toxic masculinity those types of ideas that is prominent in our uh culture and our tradition but as you know in the newer generations which is also another issue is the divide between the older generation and the newer generation of course you could just say we're going to outlive the old generation but but the thing about progression is that it's not just eliminating all the old. It's also holding on to what's good about things that, you know, a proper philosophy on history is not just to eliminate history completely. It's to take the best parts of it, keep them, and then to develop new principles based off the best of the past generations. So, you know, this machismo, machista thing, this this divide between genders, this uh, idea of of given gender roles, that's something that I think, especially in the context of American political systems and the way that we're progressing just as a society and, and as humans and as individuals, I think it's something that we that we really have to consider. You know, we have to consider that this is something that is holding us back, you know, because as just science, the field of science learns in general, you know, before they didn't have a lot of women they were uh they were oppressing the women they were not allowing they were not showing respect to women in the field of sciences in the stem fields and then you know all of a sudden you have this influx of women the women that do want to participate and then you realize that they too can contribute which is common sense now obviously women can contribute to these things but it wasn't so common sense in the past this is something that you know we had to develop we had to move through and just like right now we're moving through something you know um, so the machismo, machista attitude, those ideologies, I think everything that comes under the umbrella of those principles is something that we have to reconsider moving forward. We have to start to abandon those, those traditionally, you know, we, again, what is good in tradition is that we do have strong family values. We love our families. We fight for our families. We, and that is motivation to eventually go on. That fuels the work ethic. And that gives resilience, that gives reason to fight, is when you have a family and you're no longer just participating for yourself, but you're also keeping them in mind when you're doing it. So that's extra motivation. Uh, So that's one. Another one is the gang culture. You know, the gangs and the gang culture and everything that derives from that culture. And, um, you know, just to give you a little history lesson. So, you know, in the 40s, between the 40s and the 60s, you know, we had a large immigration of Latinos into the U.S. And what happened is that uh, because a lot of the areas where they were coming into, specifically Los Angeles and Chicago, these places were already uh, uh, infested with gangs. This, the gangs were already here when, we, when the Latinos got here. Um, you know, so the Latinos faced a lot of discrimination from these groups, from these gangs, rather. Uh, they were marginalized and they were put to the edge you know and so here i want to use a a nietzsche quote a a frederick nietzsche quote he says uh do not battle with monsters lest you become a monster and if you stare into the abyss long enough the abyss stares back at you 
So the first part of that, do not battle with monsters lest you become a monster. So uh, this is just general philosophy. This is psychiatry. This is not something that's specific to groups or any individual groups or specific groups at that. It's general human psychology. What happened was the, there was an influx of a group, immigrants. And since the culture of gangs already existed, the monsters within that culture already existed. And as we moved into the communities and we faced those monsters in order to battle with the monsters, as Nietzsche said, you, you eventually become the monster. And, and that's exactly what happened. Latinos in fighting against the gangs began to devolve into the, the monster principle, you know, began to devolve into monsters with those same principles, uh, with the same culture, you know, and then we began to form our own gangs and then that took a life of its own. Uh, but the principle there is that, is that we need to acknowledge where these things occur because when you acknowledge exactly where they're occurring, then it's easier to pin down exactly Again, how they occurred and what the origin of the occurrence is. But that's a deeper conversation. But again, we're talking Latinos here, so that's why that history lesson was offered. And I mentioned it before, the, the old generation versus the new generation of Latinos. You know, there's this uh, this thing where you say kids are no sabo kids, you know. Uh, I'm a second generation. Well, I'm a first generation Mexican-American. My parents are from Mexico. So even with me, there's a divide between, you know, the paisas or whatever you would call it and the Chicanos, the people who are uh, Mexican-American. So those three things right there, the, the idea of machista, machismo, the gang cultures and everything that derives from it and the old generation versus the new generation battle. Those are three things that are holding us back significantly. And uh, what I want to acknowledge here is the question of progress is complex and one thing that philosophers know now looking back because everything is always 2020 in hindsight but progress in science progress in anything never comes at the time when it needs to necessarily because when the thing is happening like right now the moment that's occurring right now all the problems in society right now it's not immediately apparent to adopt changes to change it. It's more fitting to say that it is what it is and leave it at that. So when we talk about progress, it's hard to, to give a, a solution for For example, it's hard to say this is the solution. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say there is a solution. There is one solution because the solution itself is coupled in two things. First off, we have to work through the contradictions that exist within our current systems. So first off, identify the contradictions. Work through them. That's not as easy as it sounds. And then the second part is not providing empty answers, which people, that's an alternative to progress, is giving an answer that's insufficient, but seems like it's answering the question. So the second part of it is ask the right questions. And how do we how do we get to the point where we're asking the right questions? Well, I think education plays a big part in that. Um, 
you know, I think education plays a giant part in how we will eventually get to the point where we're asking the right questions. So again, working through the contradiction, working through the contradictions, not only working through the contradictions, but through those contradictions, arriving at the questions that need to be asked in order for us to actually make progress. Um, you know, when it pertain as it pertains to economic growth, as it, you know, because again, the study is an economic study. You know, it's a GDP study, and so we got to think, we got to ask ourselves. You know, number one, the purpose of this is empowerment, no doubt. I want people to feel empowered. I want the Latinos out there who are gonna hear this to feel empowered. Um, you are capable of the fifth largest GDP in the world, statistically. That's a big thing. Uh, and it's because of the principles, because of the principles that are that are in our tradition. Um, again, resilience, deep family values, and incredible work ethic, among many other things. But those three things pretty much sum it up. Um, so how do you then use this information properly? So again, with great power comes great responsibility, right? We have economic power, we have economic potential, and it's only growing. So a good idea would be to get ahead of it and to start directing all that progress into the right places. And one of the ways to do this is by ensuring that our concerns, what what concerns us is being addressed, right? The issues that pertain to to our community, our Latino community. Uh, but not just because we're Latinos, but because, again, we hold principles that are valuable. Um, in general, I mean, I don't think any human being would would uh, contest resilience, family values, and work ethic. I mean, that's the essence of capitalism, is work ethic. Uh, the essence of conservatism is family values, and resilience is, in some sense, the essence of a democracy. Uh, so these are pretty universal principles, is what I'm saying. Uh but in the context of a growing Latino population, I think, again, it's important that we organize ourselves to address specific issues that do face our community, uh, like violence, like uh, a lack of education or uh, due to or even, you know, because you could be a high school graduate and that could be seen as sufficient, like you're sufficiently educated. But if the if the system, if the school K through 12 is not actually giving you the right amount of education, then there's, st there's still a failure there. Because at the point that you, if you want to go to college, you arrive at college, you're significantly behind in level compared to people who come from another uh, school district, let's say. And I also want to make it clear that, you know, UCLA, Los Angeles, I'm from South Central. So I'm kind of being biased here, or not biased, but I, so I'm kind of specifically talking about here, Los Angeles County. But really the working class, working class communities, which is where we are most represented. We're here in the working class communities. Uh, so a lot of those uh, things align, the interests align there. So again, part, uh, p political participation, that extends to the education because ultimately the educational institutions are, their budgets are decided by policies the council member, the council members are deciding. Uh, the people on the boards of the schools are deciding, and that those are political positions. So, not only 
becoming involved, getting involved in the process, but also getting involved in in taking up those positions uh, so that we, because, you know, you need somebody in those positions that is connected with the community in order for them to correctly understand the position of those within the community. Um, we see this, you know, in, in L.A., we have a huge problem with this. You have people who are up there sitting on this board, you know, this this committee, they're sitting up, they're all high and mighty. And when people come and give legitimate criticisms, you know, they want to focus on, oh, you're getting too rowdy. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. Oh, organize yourself as if, you know, politics. They get pompous about it. And, you know, that's a big issue because there are real, real, real problems in our communities that need to be addressed. And when the response is, oh, you're getting too, you're getting too loud or you're getting too passionate, that just shows a fundamental misunderstanding. It shows how these politicians are very egotistical instead of uh, acknowledging the fact that people are bringing up legitimate criticisms. They rather say, uh protect their ego rather they would rather protect their ego instead of actually address the issues that these that instead of actually addressing the issues that people from the community are bringing forth so um again that's one way we can do it is to begin to vote within our interest begin to congregate with clear we have to congregate and come together with clear motivations, with clear intentions. Um, and those clear intentions come through conversation because, again, it's hard to say what exactly the solution is. And anybody that's quick to offer you a solution and say, this is the solution, you should always be skeptical because there is no one solution necessarily. It's more like, how do we solve, how do we set up a framework that's good at solving problems? rather than how do we solve one problem that's here right now because what you'll find is it'll solve the problem and then a new problem will arise right after so then what you gotta so then it's always constantly changing the people that are in power and constantly changing the system so that's not good enough because that requires a lot of effort that requires a lot of time energy money and it's only sufficient for the people who are in those positions of power which we're seeing. That's what we see. We see people who abuse their power. Uh, Los Angeles sees many corrupt politicians. Mark Ridley Thomas recently stealing funds, abusing the affordable housing programs. So, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, but it's not about being right. It's about how are we going to solve these issues? It's about how are we going to actually come up with a system that solves problems efficiently instead of solving one problem and then the next problem is here tomorrow. And now the problem solving mechanism of yesterday no longer works. So how do we put a system that actually is good at continually solving problems? And that goes back to our principles, creating systems aligned with principles rather than aligned with money, aligned with economic interests, for example, which is what's happening now. We have politicians that are very much so economically driven. They're giving grants and, and, uh, you know, they're giving tax breaks and grants to whoever can give them the most money. So their principle is money. Their principle is not the people that they're representing. They don't care about the people they're representing. They care about the people who's giving them the most money. And, you know, even in California recently, you can look this up. 
they passed a law that allows for affordable housing to be built in violation of environmental protocols. So, well, what does that mean? Well, what they want to say is it's more important to build houses for poor people than for people to be homeless is what they're going to say, which is an obvious truth. Uh, if the option is a lot of homeless people or houses that violate environmental protocols and less homeless people, then the obvious answer is there. But what's not obvious is who's going to benefit from this economically. Um, you know, and the people who do benefit the most from this economically are the middlemen, the people who build these nonprofits to then build the houses, but they're the ones getting the tax breaks and all the funding. And they're trying to minimize how much they're spending on the actual product projects so that they can kick back all the money to themselves. And then, you know, so again, the principles are off. So it doesn't matter what the solution is. The principles are always going to be money. So until we can re either, either we get in there and start to make those decisions correctly with risk that the people are, who get in there are going to become corrupted anyways, we can do that or we can participate, which I mean, there's a chance that people don't get corrupted. And I have faith that there will be people who won't get corrupted. But also, just part, just at the very basic level, just participating in the politics itself is good enough uh, to begin with. You know, just start to educate yourself. Again, education is power. Knowledge is power. Know who's in charge of what. Know whose name is tied to what. Who is the person who's in charge of public education funding? Who are the superintendents that are making these decisions for the curriculums who is exactly doing what therefore you can create a more precise a more accurate criticism of these systems rather than saying it's system it's systemic it's the white man it's them da, da, da. sounds good and i'm sure the marxists love that approach but it's not a it's not a viable solution because there's no actual problem being addressed it's more of addressing the human condition and i mean we could get philosophical but we're not talking about advancing our consciousness here we're talking about economic shifts and we are shifting the economics um oh and another and another important thing you know is like with that money comes you know at the very basic level you have um with money, you can do a lot of things. Uh, the very basic thing you can do is have purchasing power. You can buy things, right? I got $10. We'll go spend it, buy some chips. Uh, or you could save the $10. And then when you get the next $10, now you have $20. And you can keep doing that until you have $100. And then you can invest $100. And, you know. So it, money is a tool. You can do different things with it. So what we do with the money is also very important because although we are producing a GDP that is the fifth largest in the world, if we're just spending it all on useless shit, on just being consumers, then it's really, it really again, we're giving away the power because we're just giving the money back to somebody else. So it's like the Latinos are producing the GDP, but all the money that comes from it is actually going right back into the hands of whoever we're spending the money on. So again, recirculating it into the community so that the GDP itself and the economic growth itself is becoming exponential. 
based on the fact that we're reinvesting it into a system that we know works, which is us, because we we can trust our principles. Um, but that doesn't mean to exclude anybody else either. Again, this isn't a racist argument. This isn't a radical extremist supremacist argument. I'm just, you know, if you have the same principles that I'm talking about, then it really applies to you as well. The study, the study is Latinos and I'm a Latino, so I can only talk from that perspective. But the reality is that good people are good people. And those who want progress are those who want progress. And right now we live in a jumbled time where people don't know up from down, left from right. So again, and in order to organize, we must first work through the contradictions in order so that we can get to the right questions. Um, rather than these broad, general, benefit nobody types of assessments of the situation. Uh, so yeah, Latinos in the U.S., fifth largest GDP in the world. That's where we're at, folks. Take care. Be safe. Peace.